want you to please turn with me in your Bibles. Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Genesis chapter 4, chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, and then back over to Romans chapter 5. So Romans chapter 4, this is the word of the Lord. Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain, and she said, I've gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again, she gave birth to his brother Abel, And Abel was a keeper of the flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of fruit, fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain, for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not, and if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain told Abel, his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and he killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where's Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? He said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, and which, is open, which has opened up its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you've driven me, you've driven me uh, this day from the face of the ground and from your face, and I will be hidden from it. And I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. So the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain, so that no one finding him would slay him. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, and he settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Now to Romans chapter 5. And before we read the text of our uh, this morning, I um, just want to say this is a very daunting section of scripture. For any of you who know, have had to deal with this text, whether in study or if you're preaching or just studying uh, this portion of scripture, it is very, it's just an extraordinarily profound, Romans is profound in and of itself, and you know that as we've been going through. But boy, and from 5, 12 to 21 is just an absolute deep section of scripture because it explains the principle upon which we became sinners. That's how we became sinners and separated from God, alienated from God, enemies of God, and then how we are reconciled to God. So it tells us how we are born sinners and why we're sinners in that way, and then how we are counted righteous and accepted by God. How we are lost, then the way that we're found. This is why we're spiritually dead, and then we're told how we're made spiritually alive. Why we deserve hell, 
and yet we are able to inherit heaven if we're in Jesus Christ. How the fall, one man's sin, affects and impacts all those whom he represents. This is deep, deep stuff. How Jesus' work then overcomes and undoes the curse of the fall and gives us life. And it is very true. There are only two kinds of people in this world, and people use that all the time. They'll say there's this kind of person and that kind of person. Ultimately, there are two kinds of people. There are sinners, those born in Adam, and then there are sinners who are saved by grace, those in Jesus Christ. That's it. That's what Paul's driving home. That's the point that he's driving home in this section. When you die, you'll go to one of two places. You're going to be in the presence of the Lord in heaven, Are you going to be cast from the presence of the Lord? He's over hell, but you'll be in hell separated from him. That's it. There's no middle ground. There's no halfway. There's no, maybe we'll get there someday. That's why this is so serious. That's why we're not playing. This isn't a game. The consequences are eternal, and it's very important. So let's look at the text, and we'll talk about this in a moment. Romans 5, beginning of verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin... And so death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who is to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of one man the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace that came through the one who, who sinned. I'm sorry, let me go back to, um, for if by the one transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace came that came through the man who sinned. I am losing my space. <laughs> I am reading a new Bible this morning. I'm back to the NAS 95 edition, and it's tight. And I need to put my glasses on <laughs> to get through this. Okay. Let's try that once again. Thank you for bearing with me. Okay. Let's go back to 15. For the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, there you go, Jesus Christ abounded the many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on, the, for on the one hand, the judgment arose from the transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. It's confusing enough without me (laughs) chopping it up. So then, as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men, even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. The law came in so the transgressions would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, 
Even so, grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen and amen. I'm saying amen in a couple different ways. We got through that text. Um, you confused? And not just by the reading of that. Are you confused? It's a tough section when we read this section. It is confusing on different levels, and it's and it's a hard text to grasp in many ways. Uh, for one, for several different reasons. First of all, it's repetitive. Right? You keep reading through one man, through the other man, through this man came sin, through this man came redemption, and so forth. So that makes it difficult in that way, just because of the repetitive nature of the text. Another thing that makes it kind of confusing is that it, Paul starts a thought, like in, in verse 12, said, just as just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. If you have the New American Standard, you see a little dash there. Paul kind of stops his thought right there, and we do this all the time. We'll say something, and then we'll try to explain what we're saying or clarify what we're saying before we go back to making the end of that, end of that point. Well, that's what's happening here. He explains and he clarifies his verses 13 through 17. Then he gets back to his main point in verse 17. Uh, so it's just kind of, it's kind of confusing for us in that way. It's also confusing, and I've gotten questions over the years asking as, as I read this text, well, does this mean that people weren't culpable for their sins or accountable for their sins before the commandments were given? Doesn't that, isn't that what he's saying here? For until the law was in the world, sin was there, but no sin is imputed where there is no law. What does that mean? So people were kind of off the hook at that time? You see, the, the questions begin to mount, and it gets a little confusing and tough. Um, Another another area that's confusing is it kind of people say, well, I get the universal condemnation that we're in Adam, but doesn't that mean when he says that all are justified in Christ, doesn't that mean universal justification or universal salvation? By the way, this is a favorite passage of the universalists. And if you're a, a serious universalist, they they make compelling arguments. They're not Right, because they don't take all of Scripture, but they'll use passages like this. We'll see, say, right there, you know, for the one's man righteousness, all were made righteous. Well, that's, aren't we all saved? So you get questions like that, and that could be confusing. On the other hand, when he says, through the one man's sin, many were made sinners, many, that, that word, so not everybody's really a sinner in Adam, and, you know, so it, there are a lot, there are questions, and this can be a confusing text. So we're going to work through it nice and slow. We're going to take a couple of weeks, well, actually three weeks. And and today is going to serve, it's going to be a message, it's going to contain a message, but it's going to kind of serve as an introduction into this section, just so we have some handles to to hold on to as we're going through it to help make, to help clarify it uh, for us. So we're going to serve as a major introduction while still containing a message by God's grace uh, that we might better understand the text. And so we're going to do some work in defining ideas, concepts that are contained here to, to use as a framework for our understandings. And I hope that helps today. So I don't want this to be like a, just a straight kind of uh, lecture in that way, but I definitely want us to, to understand concepts that are here as we move on the next couple of weeks, talking about our condemnation in Adam and then our justification in Christ. Let's do that. All right. So the first thing, the first big idea we want to hold on to or think about is that this passage is very covenantal. 
covenantal. Write that down if you're taking notes. That's one of the hooks. That's, that's one of the handles we want to hold on to. It's covenantal. We need to understand how God deals not only with his people, but with humanity. And he deals with them covenantally. And I would refer you to Luke's class. It's going to be starting back up in March on covenant theology. If you, uh, I know it's on our YouTube or whatever, our, our website. You could check out the, the previous classes. They get caught up, but I would really encourage you in that. It'll really help clarify a lot of, uh, the, the whole structure of scripture. So, uh, covenant, as God deals with them, is, is, is simply an arrangement, an agreement, uh, kind of a treaty. Today we might think of like a contract that's, that's binding, um, a commitment that's guaranteed by a solemn oath. And it establishes what covenants do in scripture. They establish, the covenant establishes the basis of a relationship. And God sets the terms. He sets the conditions, the parties that are involved, the promises included, the prohibitions, and then the sanctions okay, for, for disobedience. There are a lot of legal elements to a covenant in that way. I'm not going to spend a lot of time or much time in that at all, but just giving you a basic understanding. This was a covenant is that agreement that's entered into. It's set. You have those, the, the parameters that are set there. So if you're married, you took vows, you made a commitment, you entered into a covenant of marriage. So you've taken that, that contract, but, but they are very much, uh, they're not just, um, simply outward and, and legal. They're deeply, deeply rena- relational. So in your marriage, you're not saying, you don't wake up in the morning and say, hi, my covenanted partner, we agree to do this and I'm going to keep to my stuff. No, that's involved. There's legality involved, but it's deeply, deeply relational. And so that's what this is here. This is covenantal language that, that is being spoken of here as we talk about sin entering the world through one man then everybody being corrupted by sin and then reconciliation for those who trust in Jesus Christ. This is a covenantal arrangement from God. How do we know this? It goes from Scripture. Very quickly, we'll do this. Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. After the Lord created man, gave everything to him, the Lord commanded the man, saying, You surely may eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. There it is. That's 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 it in God's providence, He gave Adam everything. Right? There was the prohibition, do not eat of this tree. The day that you eat, there's the penalty, you will surely die. You'll be separated from him, the relationship will be broken. Uh, the Westminster Confe- Shorter Catechism is very helpful here for us in understanding this. They do a really nice job uh, in this way. That's why we memorize our catechisms. That's why uh, we're going to be looking at the Heidelberg Catechism at, as, as we move forward here because they really help you. They really give you handles and understanding doctrine and, and um, in a systematic way. So check this out. What special act of providence did God exercise towards man in the state where he was created? When God created man, what did he do? When God created man, he entered into a covenant of life with him. Notice the language, covenant of life. Sometimes it's called covenant of works because Adam had to do something to maintain that relationship. It calls a covenant of life upon the condition of perfect obedience. Listen to me and you will live. You can have all the trees, just not that one. Not there. Don't go there. You obey, life is going to go on. Forbidding him to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil upon the pain of death. 
Well, you know what our first parents did. I'm going to borrow from the catechism again. The next question in the catechism asks, did they, did they keep that covenant? No, no. They didn't keep that covenant, obviously. Being left to the freedom of their own will, they fell from that estate where they were created. How? By sinning against God. They disobeyed. They ate of the fruit. They broke the terms of that covenant. God was right at that moment to lead them there to suffer the punishment and death for their disobedience. But what does God do in his grace, in his mercy, his love? He says, he comes to him. And in Genesis 3.15, he makes a promise to them. God graciously, notice that word, graciously makes the promise to them. He provides the promise. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. God graciously provides the promise of a redeemer. Amen. And praise God. See the covenant there? We're fallen in Adam, but there's that promise through which forgiveness, reconciliation, redemption, bind atonement would be accomplished. He would crush his head. The rest of scripture is just that. It's the unfolding of that redemptive history. It's, it's the covenants that we see with Abraham, with Moses, with David, the new covenant, Jeremiah 31 coming into, into the gospels. Those promises point to, they foreshadow, and they find their ultimate fulfillment in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Amen and praise God. That's why it's so important to have this idea of covenant in your mind. It's a beautiful structure, beautiful framework, and it's biblical. It's not dispensations here from this time to this time. It's just there. Covenant is used over and over again in Scripture. We see God enter into covenant with his people. He's a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. This is covenantal as we come to Romans 5. Keep that as a handle as we move on the next couple of weeks. Second big idea is representation. You could say covenantal representation. I almost wanted to keep those together, but just for the sake of our talk here this morning, the message here, it's representative. That's a big idea. Um, and we're going to really talk a lot about this next week. Paul is pressing the point. He's stressing the fact that there we are represented you're either represented by Adam, or we all are initially, and then ultimately you're either in Adam or in Christ. Okay, Representing, he's pressing that point again. Verse 12, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Go down to 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness or the offense of the one um, of Adam, who is a type of him who is to come. Uh, verse 18, if you want to go down there. So then, as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. And he goes on, even through the one act of righteousness, there resulted justification to all men. Verse 19, uh, for through the one man's disobedience of many were made sinners, even through the obedience of the one many will be made righteous. So you see that idea of representation. Through one man, it's through one man. He represents us. Adam represented all of humanity in the garden. That's a big deal. It's a big point. It's something we need to understand. That's why we're in the same boat together as we're born into sin. We'll talk much more about that next week. Adam was our federal head. He represented humanity. He represented each and every one of us. We have approximations, don't we, in the world today? We're represented by government. That's a classic example of representation, right? So we we do elect our officials and our representatives and they go and they make policies and laws that affect each and every one of us. You're feeling the effects 
of being, you know, of, of our representatives and the laws, there, that's, that's what happens where we, we understand that. If we go to war, you can't necessarily say, oh, I'm not going to go. You can try and run all that. I said this is an approximation, <laughs> but you know, we're in war. We're at war. We're at nation at war. We're part of that. Your taxes, okay, try to get away without paying your taxes and see what happens. But these things are imposed on us because we're represented. Same with the family. It's another classic example of representation. Uh, our parents, ultimately the father who's the head of the home, is the decisions they make affect you, don't they? They're, they have We're moving to Alaska. What are you going to say when you're three or four years old? No, I'm not going to go. You know, maybe when you're 18, but but when you're five and 12, you're going to go to Alaska. You know, there's it has an effect on us. Decisions that are made at a corporate level uh, by the owners they do affect you. That's representation. That's what it is. Adam represented us perfectly in. The garden. That's what Paul labors the point. That's why I read those passages over and over and over again. He wants to make this, make sure this idea, this concept, this teaching of representation is in the mind of the people. Adam, as our covenant head, represents all of humanity. His decision has a direct impact on each and every one of us. We'll talk much, much more about this next week. I can already hear the, the objections to, to this. Again, back to the shorter catechism, number 16. Check it out. Did all mankind fall on Adam's first transgression? The covenant, there's the language, being made with Adam was not only for himself, but his posterity. All mankind descending from him by ordinary generation sinned in him. Big, we'll talk more about that next week, much more. Fell with him in his first transgression. Again, this is one of the proof texts for that as Paul's laboring that. Also, uh, Genesis 2.17, the promise that was made. All those whom Christ represents, on the other hand, receive the benefits of his redemptive work. So you receive all the benefits. So we're represented either in Adam or in Jesus Christ. Okay. So in Christ, we receive all the benefits of his work of redemption. Shorter catechism once again, number 20. <laughs> it's like a catechism lesson today. Did God leave all mankind to perish in the state, in the estate of sin and misery, which he had the right to do, all the right in the world to leave us to perish because of our disobedience? He graciously, covenant of grace, graciously decided, decreed in his own will, according to his own purpose, plan, and pleasure to set aside a people for himself. That's a very tough teaching today. That's a very hard teaching today. It's a very difficult teaching today. We'll talk more about it in two weeks when we talk about our redemption in Christ. But the answer is God having out of his mere good pleasure, there's the motivation, his pleasure, from all eternity, elected some to everlasting life. That's why we're not universalists. That's why not everybody goes to heaven. God elected some to everlasting life. Did enter into a covenant of grace. It's all of grace. Nothing we could do. There's nothing about us. It's all of God. It's all from him. Right? We've talked about this earlier in Romans and continuously, to deliver them out of the estate of sin and misery and to bring them into the estate of salvation by a redeemer. There it is. There's that, that, that covenant of grace. So we're going to deal with this not today, but what's one huge, huge, huge objection to all of this? Well, that's not fair. How can that be? Adam represented me. It's not fair in a couple of ways, man. I could have done a better job than Adam. I would have... Right? I would have gotten in front of that thing. Get behind me, Satan. I would have, I could, why, is, why does it depend? 
Shouldn't I be judged on my own merits? That's the argument, you know. I, why is God, why Adam represents me? I don't like that. I don't want that. No, you're gonna have to be around next week if you want to, we're going to deal with that a little more deeply in that way. That's one, one objection that way. The other one is <clears throat> from the other side of that. And it's kind of the universalist position that Jesus doesn't represent every single person. Why doesn't he represent every single person? Why doesn't he? Why, why doesn't every single person get to go to heaven? What's wrong with that? So there's that other side. And doesn't the text say that, like, that everyone in Christ will be in heaven? Did he die for all men in that way? See, these are objections that, that come up in this way because this is a very difficult teaching. It's hard. It's hard to teach in some ways, but we're bound to the scripture. We're bound to the word of God until we bring it forth. We don't try to water it down, push it away, make it easy, skip over it. You got to delve into it and we got to come, come through it to see the grace of God and the love of God and the glory of God in all of this. Amen and praise God. That's the reason we do this. So that's the, the, the second, uh, big idea, especially, um, again, this is where the universalists have this passage. And, and they're, they're, they're really, it's a movement within evangelicalism. More and more you're seeing it. The progressive church, uh, those who've deconstructed their faith and they're reconstructing it, they're coming to, to the conclusion. And you're going to be challenged by this as Christians out there in, in terms of, you know, it, why eventually everybody goes to heaven. They may even go to a place where they need to be refined and pay for the penalties and sins, but eventually they'll be in heaven. They're universalists. And, and everybody's going to end up there. And it's gaining steam, just so you know, just so you're aware as you're out there in the streets, out there in the world, because it makes God so wonderful. Even if you're bad, and even if you, even if you don't really trust in Jesus in this life, you go somewhere, you pay for your sin, and then eventually end in heaven. That's a happy story, isn't it? That's a good, that's not biblical though. That's not what the Bible teaches. So we can't go there. As much as you'd want to go there, you can't do that because that's not what the word teaches. And if we go there, we're not being faithful to our Lord. So really keep that in mind and be aware of that when you're out there. People are tending, even evangelicals are tending towards universalism using passages like this, that all men are redeemed in Christ. Again, we'll talk more about that in the, in the coming weeks. The third big idea uh, to keep in mind First, we have God as covenantal God. There's that covenant. We have that representation. Adam is our federal head. He represents us, all of us. Um, and then finally, that of original sin. Keep that in mind. Through one man, sin entered into the world, and death through sin. So death spread to all men because all men have sinned. This is the seriousness of sin. We've talked about it time and again uh, as we've been going through Romans. But the big idea is... The idea of original sin. How many of you have heard of original sin? What is original sin? You're tempted to say, a lot of you, the first sin, right? That's the original sin when, you know, when they, they took and they ate. And, they, and in a sense, that's true. That was, you know, what brought us in the fall. But technically, I guess theologically, the term refers to the results of that first sin, the consequences of that sin and how that affects all of us, all mankind. You can see our connection back to Adam, because the Bible is very clear what happened to them. As death entered into the world, they died spiritually. We're dead spiritually. As, as they would die physically, we die physically. We're connected all the way back to Adam. No question, biblically, that that's there. The idea of original sin in regards to our connection with Adam, that's what Paul's essentially describing here. You know, the sin entered the world. All have sinned. All have been, all are under condemnation. That transgression, we, we transgress. Uh, so we're under, under condemnation. 
uh, of the Lord. We are sinners by nature and by choice. And, th- and that's we're talking especially by the nature part here, um, but it's seen in our, in our decisions that, that we make. Again, we'll talk a lot more about this in the next couple of weeks. Um, so it's not a reference to the first sin committed, but the results or the consequences of that sin. Every aspect, so original sin is just this, and hold on to this. Every aspect of our being is tainted by sin. We're affected by sin. Not one, not one part of us, of our being, that's not affected by sin. And that shows, that's part of our estrangement and our alienation from God. That's, that's why we're not seeking God apart from His grace and apart from His mercy. That's why you need Him to intervene in your life because if, he, if you're left alone, your heart's just going to be hardened against God. You're not going to find God on your own. But He's really looking for God. He searches for us. He finds us. We're not finding him. He pursues us by his grace and mercy. Verse 19, again, it says, For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Were made sinners. That's where it's come from. That's what we're talking about. This is how we become sinners. This is why this is so profound. We're made sinners. Well, what's that mean? Every aspect of our being is tainted and affected by sin. Don't, you don't think that? You think there's one part of you that's, well, this part's free. And we're going to talk next week because there are those who say, like Pelagius and many liberal Christians, we're born with a Blake slate and you could, you know, you just kind of learn. It's a learned behavior. We're going to get into that and talk about that. There are other Christians who say, yeah, we're born mostly sinful. We have a sin nature and we do sin and we need a lot of help. 99.9% help from God, but there's a little bit in us, a little percentage that we're able to do this. That's our free will. That's that's something that's untouched, unstained by sin, that kind of prevenient grace that we have in us. And that's not biblical. Again, part of me... I don't wish it was because it's not God's will, but you know, it would be a lot easier to, to preach it if it was, right? There's something that you can do. All you have to do is say, yeah, right? We can't say yes apart from God. So, um, our minds are affected. Every single aspect of our being, Ephesians 4, 8, uh, 17 and 18 tells us this. Paul says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Their minds are futile. Their thinking is futile. Your thinking, our thinking was futile before we came to Jesus Christ. Doesn't mean we weren't smart. Doesn't mean we couldn't figure things out like technically and know things and have intelligence. But when it comes to relationship with God, as what God wants, as what God commands, as what God demands from us, you could not do. That's the futility of your mind, right? You're, you're, you're coming up with your with your own thoughts in your own way. Well, this is what I think about God. Well, here's what God's word says about creation. No, 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 no. Here's what I think about creation. Here's what God's word says about the environment and how we're to live. No, 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 no. Dominion. No. Here's here's how we need to do this. Right. It's always pushing against and opposite of the Lord. No longer walk in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardness of their hearts. So our minds are darkened. We do not. Before you were a Christian, you did not think God's thoughts after him, did you? As Christians, we're like, Lord, please help us to know what we are to do, how we can know you better, how we can live for you. Help us to grow. Before you were a Christian, you didn't do that. You weren't seeking God's mind. You weren't seeking God's thoughts. You weren't seeing, what does God want me to do? And how am I going to please him with my mind and in my thinking? We weren't doing that at all until he renews us. We're affected. That's the noetic effect of sins, of sin. That is 
what's affected by it. That's the original effect of original sin in our lives. Our will, man. Your will is in bondage to sin. Oh, I'm free. I'm free. You're free to sin in that way, but not really to come to the Lord. You're in bondage to sin. It's your bent. Remember in John 8, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, and he said, the truth is going to set you free. Right? And they said, oh, we don't need your truth. We, we have Abraham, and we've never been enslaved by anybody. And then Jesus turns around in 834 and says, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Our will is in bondage to sin, man. That's our bent. That's our inclination. That's what we do. As we always say, you don't have to teach little, you don't have to teach little kids how to sin. Like, you know, you have to stop them from biting, pulling hair, stealing, screaming, throwing a fit. It's not merely a learned behavior. It comes very naturally. That's, that's our bad. That's our will. Our, our will is in bondage to our sin. We follow our hearts, right? Our inclination. That's the, the next one is our hearts as well. Uh, Genesis 6-5 tells us, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Our desire is not to know God, not to know the true God of the Bible. You might want to know a God or God of your own fashioning, a God of your own making. Well, I think God is like this, and my God does this, and my God would never do that. Mm, you're not, that's, that's, you're not, no, that's not the God of, of the scripture, right? Your desire is not to know him. When you're not, before you're a Christian, our desire is to know him, obviously in Christ. Your desire is not to please him, to honor him, to obey him, not the true God. And that comes through. Every time you try to say something that the actual Bible teaches or what God is bringing forth in his word, you put that forth in society and you see very nice people turning very ugly very fast, right? Because they're not, their heart isn't inclined towards obeying God towards honoring God, towards loving God, towards, you know, towards serving God, towards really knowing him. They, that's not our heart. Our heart wants what it wants. So it doesn't matter. If I feel this way, then I'm going to do it this way. As Christians, we don't live on our feelings. Amen? And we're not, I'm not saying we're devoid of feelings. We're not robots, obviously. But we don't let our feelings direct our lives. It's the word of God no matter how we feel, because your God, your word promises this. This is what your word teaches. And even though I don't understand it, even though I don't get it, even though in some situations I don't even like it, the situation I'm in, I am going to, what did Job say? Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. After his wife said, just curse God and die. Look what he did. He took everything away. He took your kids away. He took your precious, he took everything away. Just curse him and die. And that'd be the temptation, right? God, how could you do this? And Job says, no. You know what he did at the end when God took everything away? Did he, did he turn on the Lord? No. We know that he worshiped God. He worshiped God. And he was tempted by his wife to curse God. Just curse God and die. Shall we, shall we curse God and die? Shall we not accept good and evil that comes from the Lord? Praise be to God. Amen. That's what Christians do. You're not a Christian. You'll never do that. Your heart's not inclined to the. Our hearts belong to him. Now, we're fighting that battle all the time between our, our selfishness and our sin and trusting and serving the Lord, but our heart belongs to him. Amen. And praise God. He's not going to let us go. But if you're not a believer, that's, that's the effects of original sin. And that's what's alienated us from God. That's what separates us from God. Right? That's what keeps us from him. Our bodies feel the effects of sin every day. Adam and Eve didn't die right away, obviously. They did spiritually in their separation. They hid themselves from God. And graciously, he went and found them, searched them out, right? called to them. 
But, but our bodies feel the effects. Injuries, chronic conditions, disabilities, disease, death, all this is part of the fall in our fallen nature. Everything screams back to original sin. Everything screams back and points back to Adam and our separation from God. And that's why Christ came. This is a huge part of a Christian worldview in terms of our fallenness, in, in terms of the nature of man. This is the biblical teaching of the nature of man, our sinfulness. And you know what, people? There's a lot of opposition towards us right now in the world. You go, and we'll talk about this next week. We'll expand on this. But in the world today, when you talk what I just said about our sinful nature, obviously it doesn't sit well with anybody. More and more it's coming into the evangelical church, and you're seeing that, and we're watering things down. But but out in the street, man, there's a real hostility. I'm, I'm not bad. Nobody's born bad. People are born good. Are you kidding me? These, it's psychological factors. It's environmental factors. This is the way they were. This is poor people in that way. They, they're not really to blame for that. Why do you think we're at the place we're at today in terms of our judicial system? We're getting rid of any kind of real punishment or working towards that. We want to abolish the police. And I know there are a lot of other political factors, but this is at the heart of that. We don't really need prisons because nobody's really bad. They're just in unfortunate situations. That's why they do the things that they do. See, we've gotten rid of this. And if you, if you dare say something about the sinfulness of man and the appropriate punishment that's needed, and, 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 and that, especially the gospel that's truly needed, you're going to get it out there today if you do this. And even in the church, we're kind of watering this down. Again, we'll, we'll expand on this next week. You're, gonna, you're getting a preview right now this week. And then in two weeks, we'll talk about our justification in Jesus Christ. But everything points back to this. <clears throat> Unfolding the next couple of weeks, we'll follow our connection with Adam and then our connection to Christ. And we'll try to answer some of those questions in the beginning about, you know, before the law, you know, people died, but was sin imputed to them and so on and so forth. <clears throat> about the universalistic passages, about the passages that don't seem universalistic, the many, you know, or, you know, so we'll try to get through that. But these are the handles I want you to have. And this is kind of why this, this morning was just simply kind of an introduction to this section. I hope you could see why I did it, um, instead of just diving deeply into it. But keep this in mind uh, as we come to this passage in the next couple of weeks, the, the covenantal aspect to it in that way. The, the representation, the federal headship, and then the original sin. And then this will start, uh, we'll start filling that in in the next couple of weeks.